Please be seated. Have you ever experienced a time when you really needed a hug? I mean, really needed a hug. Uh, maybe you're at that point right now. Uh, one of those times when faith seems to be kind of thin. Hope seems to be dwindling a little bit. Uh, maybe you're feeling sad or alone. And uh, you just need somebody to put your arms around you, or put their arms around you and say, I love you. To have them encourage you and reassure you that things are going to turn out all right. Maybe you're in that state where you've messed up really badly and you need someone to say, I love you and I forgive you. Maybe you just need hope. Today is the first day of Advent. Advent is a season of preparation. It's a preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate Advent every year as if Jesus were coming for the very first time. But on another level, as we do that, we have in mind the second coming of Christ, our hope for the future and forever. First candle we lit today stands for hope, as, as was said. Uh, the people in Israel, they gained hope in a time when they felt it was kind of hopeless uh, through the prophets, the prophecy that promised that God's Messiah was coming one day to usher in a completely new day and that what you're going through right now isn't going to last forever. It's going to change. Something new is coming, a new day. And that's why we call this the prophet's candle as well, because of that prophecy that gave hope to the people of Israel. Now, today we're going to take a little hope from that message. We're going to take the hope from the prophets this morning, and I invite you to pray with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts and our minds to Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, we receive the gift of salvation through Jesus. We open our hearts to the message of the gospel and the message of your word, and we pray that you will reveal yourself to us both in heart and in body. We ask that you would lead us at this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A couple of weeks ago, uh, before we went off on vacation, uh, I attended a meeting of writers. I, I'm part of a couple of different writers groups, and uh, at the, the one we were attending, Rebecca Brown, who is one of our group leaders, shared a devotional time. And, and she pointed out that the first seven verses of Isaiah 43 are like a giant hug from God. And, and so this morning, I want to look at those verses. I think it's pretty cool. And I invite you to join me. If you have your Bible with you, you might want to open up to Isaiah 43. And uh, we're going to be looking at the first seven verses. It begins, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt your ransom. I Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So what's going on here in this, in this short little piece? This is kind of an interlude between two very large passages. Um, what's going on in the previous chapter, in chapter 42, and, and the chapters that lead up to that, is that Israel has really messed up. They are in really bad shape. They have sinned against God. They've refused to hear God, and they've refused to see God's vision. They've refused to follow God's law. And they were so stubborn that God has no choice but to allow them to experience the consequences of their own sin. And we do that with our kids sometimes today, right? We, we use consequential punishment, the natural outcome of what, what they've done, right? And so these folks were plundered and robbed and captured and deported from their own land, and they were taken far, far away. And in chapter 42, Isaiah says, is anyone willing to listen? Does anyone understand? Will anyone confess their sin? Will anyone acknowledge God? And the answer to all those questions is no. Israel is in bad shape. They've all but forgotten God, and so off they go into captivity. After losing everything, it must have seemed to them like they have no hope at all. Now, I, I want you to notice the first words of Isaiah 43. We're now turning the page, and the beginning of Isaiah 43 says, it will say eventually up there, but I'm going to say it down here, uh, the first words are, but now... Okay, that was, that was all the stuff that we're sending you off into captivity. All this stuff is wrong. Here's how you messed up. But now, this is what the Lord says. With God, there is always a but now. The promise of a new beginning. The promise of something beyond this temporary thing that's going on right now. Uh, I, I love what David McKenna says about this. He says, God's punishment and his promises are two sides of the same coin. He says, God's holiness requires punishment for our sins, but his love will not let him give up on the sinner. Two sides, same thing. You know, sometimes we, we get all uptight when we hear about God's justice, and sometimes we want to make it all about God's love, but God's love and God's justice come together. They're part of the same package. So the words, but now, are the transition from condemnation to promise. 
I want to focus here on what God's saying to his people as he moves through this phase, as he moves from punishment to hugs, if you will. There are, these are a promise to Israel, aren't they? Directly. Uh, But in a a slightly different but very real way, God promises all of these things that he promises to Israel in the New Testament era. And you'll notice as we go along that there are no words of rebuke here. There's no word of correction here. There's no advice given. There's no lecture made. None of that occurs here. Sometimes, isn't that what we need? Sometimes we we don't need the condemnation. We don't need the rebuke. We don't need the, the lecture. We don't need the correction. What we need is just that outpouring of love and concern and care. We need a big hug from God. So right off the bat in that first verse, God says to them, through the prophet Isaiah, you are mine. You are mine. I created you. I formed you. I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. Now you could just stop right there, right? We could just stop right there and and. If we have any question about our value to God, it's answered right here, right here in this first verse. It's a big old hug. And it repeats the idea in verse 7 where he says, I have created you for my glory. I formed you and I made you. You ever go through a time when you experience some great doubt? You ever have that happen? You know, you just can't seem to get past it. Uh, those times where we feel so distant from God, it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and we start to believe like maybe God isn't even there. Maybe he's not even, maybe he doesn't exist. And if he exists, we're pretty sure he wants nothing to do with us. Why would he bother with someone like me? But just because you feel that way doesn't mean that he's abandoned you. You know, it's like he, he calls Israel. You know, he, it says he calls Israel. Well, guess what? He's calling you. It says he calls you by name. You know, we question God's caring and And God kind of responds, hey, what are you talking about? I made you. I formed you. I want you to be with me so badly that I called you by name. Don't ever kid yourself. God knows your name. He knows who you are. You know, it's kind of like God has this giant picture of you on his fridge, you know? There you are. All those things we value, they end up on the fridge. But just like he knows the Israelites, good, bad, and ugly, he also knows us in the same way, doesn't he? He knows our sin, but he loves us anyway. That's the, the crazy thing. He loves us in spite of all that stuff. You know, in this passage, God may be sending the Israelites into captivity and, and into some very trying times, but he also says to them, I will be with you. I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. 
It's much harder to go into a scary place when you're by yourself, isn't it? And it's always easier to go with others. Everybody knows the old horror movie trope, the rule that uh, when the cheerleader separates herself from the group and goes off by herself, what happens? She's done for, right? We know that's going to happen. That's when the 124th version of Jason comes out in his hockey mask and he, and he jumps out and he grabs her and he does her in with an electric can opener or something like that, you know? That's the movie trope. Scary places are not places to go alone. But God is sending his people here into a scary place. But he promises to go with them. He promises also to go with us. Sometimes God sends us to intimidating and scary places. And not just violent places. You know, we, I had a conversation when we were in Rome. One evening, uh, we went out to dinner with a young priest who is a friend of my son-in-law, Luca. And, and the young man had been given the task of preaching a sermon to a group of nuns from the Missionaries of Charity. Now, I, I don't know if you know who the Missionaries of Charity are, but in case you didn't realize it, these are the members of the order founded by Mother Teresa. This young man's about 26 years old, and this is the task he's given, is to preach to them. And these are people who care for people dying with AIDS and leprosy and tuberculosis. And they run soup kitchens and mobile clinics and orphanages and schools. They live in chastity and poverty, and they serve the poorest of the poor. And the sermon that the priest was supposed to deliver to this group, you ready for this? was about sacrifice. <laughs> they had given everything, but he was supposed to focus on sacrifice. He said, what do I have to say to a group of people like this who's given everything in their lives to serve Christ? Well, in the end, I think he decided that he would serve or, or at least preach on the subject of the sacrifice of Christ, and rightly so, because that's where it all comes down to. And, and that's where we're all equal in the eyes of God. The superstars of Christian faith and the humblest of us all, we all go to the cross of Christ, to the sacrifice of Christ, in order to move forward in our lives and in eternity to gain salvation. Sometimes the circumstances are more extreme than that. God has promised that no matter where we go, he's with us in the flood and in the fire. You know, the waters here, it's probably hearkening back to, to remind us of other times when God was with his people. It reminds us of the crossing of the Red Sea, for example. He's there with us through the waters. That was seemingly an impossible task. And it reminds us of the crossing of the River Jordan into the promised land. God is with us always. Because of all that, and because he's with us always, he says this. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For I am with you. Now, that phrase appears in the Bible, if you look it up, it appears directly 96 different times. 
And if you add all the variations that go along with it, it comes out to about 365 times. You know, some people have said that that's a, a do not be afraid for every day of the year. No matter what happens to us, no matter where we go, God is with us and he has not forgotten us. And that's a very important thing to cling to when you're hanging on by your fingernails, when you feel like you got nothing else, like you feel like your faith is dwindling, you feel like you're struggling, you feel like nobody cares, you feel like even maybe God cares and he says, I am with you. I'm right there with you. I'm going through what you're going through. And then he says something that I think is super important. He says to the people in captivity, he says to them, I have redeemed you. I have redeemed you. Now, let me read that. In verses 3 and 4, he demonstrates, you know, he started it out in verse 1, but he picks it up in 3 and 4, and he demonstrates it here. He says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, because I love you. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. We're talking about a hostage situation here. The people of Israel have been taken away into captivity. We're talking about one life in exchange for another. And here God says to his people, there, there's going to be a time when I'll exchange whole nations for your nation so that you can go free. You know the context of the First Chronicles passage, when we, when, or Second Chronicles, when we say, you know, if my people will humble themselves and pray. This is the circumstance. This is the context. They're in captivity. Now, we often lift that out of context. We apply it to the United States or whatever, but it's not anything to do with that. It's, it, it's applying to God's people, to the nation that God has formed out of his followers, his church today, Israel then. In our situation as Christians, it's beyond a ransom. It's, it's not just that we're being held prisoner, but that we're being held prisoner by our own sin. And we have a sentence of death hanging over us because of that sin. But as you start exploring through the New Testament, there are a massive number of passages that talk about the ransom of Christ. You know, 1 Corinthians 6.20 and 7.23 say that we are bought with a price. Colossians 1.13 says that Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' death on a cross redeems it pays the price for our sin, the debt that we have, so that we can be set free. Matthew says that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. And, you know, it's not a ransom that's owed to Satan. I think some people think that God's paying Satan somehow to let us go. That's nothing to do with that. The, the, the debt isn't owed to Satan. The debt is owed to God. 
because we have violated his precepts. And this is a debt that Jesus freely pays. One more thing God says to his people who were sent into Babylon. He says, I will bring you home. I will bring you home. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Who does this apply to? Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. When we're out there feeling lost, lost in a foreign land, captured by our own sin. God reminds us that it was he who made us and we belong to him and he will bring us home. You know, eventually, all of these exiled people who were given these promises, uh, they returned home to rebuild the walls of the city and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem just as God had promised them. God brought them home. Our return home is a little different than that. Some of it has yet to happen, though some of our brothers and sisters who have died have gone to be with Jesus in that place that God has promised. If we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. And one really sweet day, we're going to stand in the presence of our Savior, and we're going to stand in the fully realized kingdom of heaven. Finally, home at last. Home at last. Do you know Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust God? Do you trust that he is with us right now? The one who created us in Eden will recreate Eden and lead us home forever. Are you in a dark place? Does it feel like you're alone? Does it feel like things are hopeless? Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our return from captivity is assured in Jesus. Our freedom is found in Christ Jesus. And all I can say to that is put your faith in him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is with you even when you don't sense his presence. And he's calling you by name. And he offers you his hand to lead you home. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the cross which releases me from the captivity of my sin. Lord, reveal yourself to me in troubled times. Take my hand. Lead me out of the dark places. Show me your light so that I can follow you. And one day, on a day of your choosing, lead me home. 
I pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.